This is the Collaboration Dynamics Podcast, helping you work together better with Judy Reese, X-ray listener, best-selling author, international virtual collaboration trainer, and master of metaphor. Hear more at xraylistening.com. Welcome to the Collaboration Dynamics podcast. With me today is Mark Loeffler, the author of a fascinating German book about agile retrospectives. Mark, would you like to introduce yourself a little bit and, and perhaps explain what agile retrospectives are for those who don't know? Yeah, yeah, sure. So my name is Mark and um, I'm currently working in Switzerland and still living in Germany. And I'm with the Agile movement, I would say, till 2006. And since the beginning, I was really fascinated by this, by this um, event, dedicated meeting or workshop, how you would like to name it, uh, of an Agile retrospective. And so the idea of an Agile retrospective is really in the first step to have a look back of what you've done maybe in the last weeks or months and um, then analyze what happened try to find maybe for things that had maybe try to find some root causes and the next step then do an adaption of how you work your processes and so on and um, after a while you do a next retrospective and you then you can check if the um, the things you decided to to change if they really had an effect that you really want to see like an hypothesis so you have some kind of a hypothesis so if you do this, then this will happen, and then you can check back in the next retrospective if it really happened, and if not, you adapt again until you maybe get the results you want to have. Mm -hmm. And this is primarily used in the software development in industry. Um, the origins of uh, retrospectives are not in the software um, uh, software uh, area. Um, so there was a guy named Norman Kurth who already wrote a book about retrospectives, maybe. I think 15 to 20 years ago and at that point in time he really described retrospective as some kind of a gathering at the end of a project mm -hmm. where people sit together to find out how the project went and maybe what they want to do better than the next project they start. This is where the, the origins are and then some guys that invented Scrum found out okay would be maybe great to also incorporate such kind of a meeting into the agile iterative process. Mm -hmm. So they could be used in any kind of project. They could be used in any kind of project. You even could do, um, for example, change management using retrospectives. So maybe you have a desired goal you want to reach. You have maybe some some idea what you want to do, and then you can start changing things, maybe little things, and then find out a few weeks later if these these changes really had the, the effect you wanted to have, and then adapt your change process, for example. Mm -hmm. So um, instead of doing really a plan, a change management plan and try to execute it and then maybe it didn't work at all, you could use a retrospective in between to reflect maybe every month if this is the, on, on the right path. Mm -hmm. So it's clearly uh, an idea which has got lots and lots of different applications depending where a particular person is working. Yeah, that's right. Mm -hmm. I even I even use retrospectives um, and New Year's Eve's. So I'm with my family together. So we're gathering around the television and then uh, looking at all the pictures and videos we, we created uh, during the last year. And then we do a second step by, okay, finding out what was really fun this year, um, what went really wrong or where did we, did we have conflicts and problems. 
and also a section where we say thank you to maybe some persons in the family. And um, the next step we are going then, okay, why maybe some things happened? And then the children can be really creative in, um, in finding new ideas maybe to improve things. And then we start a new year with maybe two or three new things you want to try in the next year and then a year later is the next retrospective for the family. So we also use it in this context. Wow, what an interesting idea. And what, what do you personally do as a job? What, what kind of situations are you working in? So currently I'm working in a, in a medical company which is mainly focused on building endoscopes. Maybe you, you, you know it from surgeries and so on. And we are building systems around these uh, endoscopes like video and audio capturing, image capturing, video routing, streaming, and all these things. And um, we also have a control bus where we can um, control different devices that are connected to the bus and so on. And so this is the software department here in this company. And my role is on one hand project manager and also coach. So I'm also coaching team members here. You could call it maybe agile coach because we are also doing Scrum here in this company. And but my official title is a title is project manager. Mm -hmm. Oh, how fascinating! We've already gone in a single bound from New Year's Eve with your family to the software <laughs> that drives endoscopes. <laughs> yeah, it's an interesting bandwidth. Yeah, I love it. So. The question that I always ask my interviewees, when you are collaborating at your best, you are like what? Um, at one hand, I'm excited, really, because I love collaborating with people. So um, for me, it's really when I'm when I'm in a workshop collaborating with different people, this is when I when I'm at my best, this is what makes most fun. And I really love it to do this. And when then at the end of the upper workshop or collaboration, you have something where you have a feeling this is really the, the next good step in the right direction. This is maybe the moment we see, okay, this was really a great day. So this is maybe, yeah. Mm -hmm. So a workshop is when you're feeling really at your best yes and when you're feeling like that in the workshop and you're collaborating and then at the end of the day is next step and the right direction and all of that is there anything else about you in that situation so i didn't get a question yeah. how, how are you, what what are you like in that situation Maybe on, on one hand, a bit exhausted because um, a workshop is also exhausting for me because I'm really putting all my energy in this. Mm -hmm. But I'm also feeling lucky at the end of, of, of such a workshop because the best thing for me is working with not alone on my desk, doing my own stuff, really working together with people. And in the end, this also gives me the energy then back. And um, yeah, and then really try to take care that the things we decided are really get into the normal life and normal work day of the people so that we can really work on these items. Mm -hmm. So working together with people is really important and that, and therefore you've got that feeling of being lucky. Yeah. Yeah. And you, you're probably at the end, you're exhausted. But you put mm -hmm. your energy in and you also get energy back from the other people. Right, yeah. Mm -hmm. So what needs to happen for you to collaborate like that? Um, what needs to happen? So from my point of view, 
Um, I think it's really important that such a retrospective workshop or whatsoever has a clear goal, a clear agenda. Mm-hmm. And I also not the guy who wants to work on the surface somehow of problems. I really want to dig deeper and find out what is the root cause of some of these of these problems, and um, have really intense discussions maybe also to get to these root causes. And then I really get the feeling, okay, now we are on the right track, and now we're really solving a problem and not just scratching the surface and maybe working on some symptoms. And uh, the problem will come back maybe in in two months or something like that. Mm-hmm. So you need to have intense discussions to get to the root causes. Yeah, and there are tools you can use to get to, to this root cause, like the five whys. Mm-hmm. Really asking why is this happening? Okay, then why this is happening? And so to dig deeper, or you can use um, tools from the systemic uh, approaches, like the causal loop diagram, for example, or the current reality tree. Or yeah, there are the or the fishbone diagram. So there are lots of tools you can use to to get there. Mm-hmm. I'm I'm finding that particularly interesting because I was in a a, a meeting last night where we were talking about um, what needs to be in place for members of a group to feel able to have intense discussions, mm-hmm. Mm-hmm. and my my sense is that, that typically goes quite a long way beyond the tools that you're using. Obviously, fishbone diagrams, five wise, all of that is. Yeah is the is the process by which you get to those intense discussions i'm curious about your thoughts what needs to be true about the people involved for that for those discussions to to have that intensity and get to those root causes yeah i think you need to have some kind of a safe environment to so that the people are feeling okay now we can really talk openly about these things because sometimes there's maybe already an elephant in the room and nobody really wants to talk about this elephant uh, as long as they're not feeling safe. Mm-hmm. So it's really important to get some kind of a safe environment. Um, in retrospectives, there are there are different ways you could do this. There is a so-called prime directive, mm-hmm. um, which is uh, read in, in the beginning of retrospective. I, I don't have it on, on my mind now how it's the, the correct wording, but more or less it's about um, so everybody did their best in the past and nobody really tried to um, to uh, do something wrong or really was, was had, had the idea of doing something wrong. So everybody tried to do their best. And this is maybe the, the, the um, how we want to start this meeting. So no blaming at such things. Or you could use the, the Las Vegas uh, rule, like what happens in Vegas stays in Vegas. So this also means uh, and works for this workshop. So these are possible ways to get everybody on board and tell them, okay, we will have a safe environment and we will decide together at the end of the workshop what we will get to other people that were not part of this workshop. So what are what are the results we want to distribute in the end? Mm-hmm. And what are maybe things that we want to keep for us and don't talk to others at the moment? Mm-hmm. So I think it's also quite important to, to get some kind of rules in the beginning of a workshop. Mm. And presumably often in a retrospective, well, probably always in a respect retrospective the people involved are people who've actually been working together and will continue to work together mm-hmm. um so they 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 already know each other but there's also going to be presumably politics and uh, little niggling arguments that have been going on and those kind of things yeah you're right H- how how does that affect the the safe space 
So um, what I always try to do is that you don't have some some big hierarchy hierarchy gaps in your meetings. So I'm I really try to avoid that you have some kind of high level manager attending such a meeting because mm -hmm. this already creates some pressure here. So I really try to do maybe these meetings on that all of the people are more or less on the on the same hierarchy level. Mm -hmm. So this this leads them to better discussions. This is first of all, and and then talk maybe to these higher level managers later when we when we created the results and everybody agreed what to share. And I think this is quite important. Another thing is really um, sometimes it's okay to have some kind of a conflict. And sometimes it's okay to speak up and talk about this. And then um, your facilitation skills are maybe really the, the things you need at this moment to really find out, okay, there are, I feel some tensions. So maybe Thomas has something to say. I can see it in his eyes. So I just ask him, so what do you want to say? I, maybe he does, doesn't want to say it, but I really try to get this out of him and then get some kind of discussions ongoing on a, but not on a, on a blame level, more on a higher level. It's, yeah, some kind of, yeah. In German, we say Fingerspitzengefühl. I'm not sure what the English word is. Yeah, really, I really have to find out, okay, yeah, when is the right moment for this? And yeah, it's it's not easy. And with some some experience, you're getting better maybe at these things. And maybe also sometimes fail. But if you don't have this conflict and everybody's really in a tree-hugging state and everybody just wants to keep uh, comforting things and yeah, this. This doesn't work really if you want to, to move forward. Mm. So conflict is important, essential, if you want to move forward. Yeah, I think it's important, yeah. Mm. And the facilitation skills that you need to be able to recognize that Thomas has something to say, mm -hmm. what, are, what would you say those skills are? So there are, yeah, there are a lot of skills. Maybe you, on one hand, you have to be able to read some, some, some people's maybe gestures and mimics and all these things, which um, you already can can learn also by reading some books maybe to get some basic ideas, and then you have to use it in in real life. Mm -hmm. But it's also about things like mirroring, for example, to. When something is start, somebody is starting to talk, that you mirror back what you understand to really make sure that you understood the right thing. And so there, there are different facilitation techniques you can use then to to get uh, to the point where you get the real information, not some some fuzzy, yeah, everything sucks maybe. Mm. And my experience is, um, my experience has been that my facilitation skills have got a lot better over the years the more I've practiced. And I suspect that's generally true, um, that basically this is one of those things you, you know, the more you practice, the better you get. Yeah, as always. Yeah. Um, and it's, it's something that people can start doing. It seems to me that, you know, people can, it's worth people trying rather than not trying. Yeah. You're right, and I think there are, but there are also people out there who has some, who have some natural talent mm -hmm. on skills, and other people maybe who have to learn more about these things. But um, yeah, everybody, I think, can learn to a certain extent. Everybody can learn how to facilitate such discussions and go through them. And um, but the first step is really to um, to overcome the fear of starting difficult discussions. Mm -hmm. 
And maybe the first times will, won't work, and maybe you run into a, a bigger problem in the end, maybe, but at some point in time you get, get used to it and find out how to really do it right. Mm, yes, it must be frightening if... I, I can't even remember the first time I facilitated a really difficult discussion. Um, but it is difficult to do that. Yeah, it is. When yeah, I'm also I'm also a quiet. Uh, I'm really uh, um, I love it when everything is in harmony. Mm -hmm. I really love it, and uh, and it's really easy to just sit back and just relax and enjoy maybe the 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 harmony in the room and the nice discussions and nobody really talking about conflicts. But it won't help you in the end. So at some point in time, you really have to, yeah, have to dig deeper and find out where the real problems are. Mm. Because the chances are, if everything appears to be in harmony, this is just groupthink. Yes. Everybody's just agreeing with each other because it's easier. Right. And Less work. <laughs> but that's <laughs> not where the creativity is. No, it's not. And this, that's, also, that's why it's also important to have diverse teams. If you have teams where everybody has more or less the same thinking, the same mindset, it's nice. Some it's it's nice to have this because maybe you have to have more harmony in your team. But if you really have want to have a creative process and really to get into interesting um, problem solvings and and get interesting and creative ideas, I think it's it's good to have a diverse team with people with different mindsets mm -hmm. and people be willing to to display their diversity. Um, a couple of people I've spoken to on this podcast have talked about the relation that in order for creativity there has to be divergent thinking as well as convergent thinking. You have yeah. to ha develop that tension between the people so people pull apart as well as pulling back together again. Um, one, one, yeah, one person used a, a metaphor of an accordion. Um, <laughs> yeah, that, that's nice. I like this. Um, and somebody else called it the creative roller coaster, where there's the difference in height between the highs and the lows is is that creative tension. Mm -hmm. and there's there's a lot. There, there needs to be that diversity, and a facilitator is managing that diversity. Now I know that, like me, you started out doing your um, most of your meetings face to face. Most of your retrospectives face to face. But yeah right. You're curious about. I'm curious about what what you're up to in terms of remote facilitation. Mm -hmm. What 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 are you doing in terms of being able to do retrospectives at a distance? So I just read a read a uh, interesting quote today about uh, remote retrospectives, and uh, I don't know who said it, but he's he was asked what is the best tool you can use for remote retrospectives. And he answered, a plane. <laughs> and I really like this because, of course, the best thing you can do is have the people co-located in one room and do retrospective. There's nothing better than that. Nothing can beat really a co-location of a team. But um, Before you go on, why? What, what is it that's so special about the co-location? Um, special about the co-location is it starts with really... The people are coming into the room already beforehand, so they are really starting talking. Small talking is quite important for for the group itself. Mm -hmm. Maybe you can meet after the the, the the retrospective. Maybe go out, drink a beer, whatsoever. You can you get a better team bonding than here. Um, but also 
you, it's easier for everybody to read mimics and gestures of people when you really can see them maybe uh, mm -hmm. in the room and um, can observe them. It all the works in a video conferencing tools, but that's more difficult because the screens are much much um, smaller and so on. Um, so if you have a chance to where you have a team which is which which is really distributed uh, over the world. I still opt in for for bringing them together from time to time. Mm -hmm. So I think it's really important for team dynamics, uh, team dynamics, and also to to um, get to know each other and learn what is this guy maybe when he's not sitting in a meeting. So mm -hmm. how he, how he ticks maybe what 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 is his character and so on. Um, and the next best thing to do is really to to use a decent video conferencing tool. Mm -hmm. And then using um, tools like um, yeah, like Lino, like web whiteboards, where you can use a, a whiteboard somewhere, who, but who which everybody has access to and can look at. So there are tons of tools out there. I just found a blog post today about the 21 mandatory tools for distributed retrospectives. And um, yeah, they are all like a real-time board, um, a group board. Um, Stormboard is there, so there are a lot of tools now out there. Or MindMeister, which is a mind uh, mapping tool, which is also used uh, used for working together on a mind map, for example. So I think it's also important, additionally, to have a video conferencing to also have some kind of a collaboration tool mm -hmm. where everybody can look at and work on. Mm -hmm. To replace the whiteboard or the post-it notes that you'd be using in in the face-to-face -face meeting. Yeah. And if this is not not possible, and maybe you have two teams and different locations, it's in my experience it's quite important to have maybe two facilitators in, in, on on each location. Mm -hmm. That these guys are really taking care of writing post-its, grouping the post-its, maybe then connect to the other facilitator to get the results together and so on. So this is this would be then the, the next best thing maybe to do. Mm -hmm. So given a really good video conferencing tool and some kind of whiteboard or, or collaboration tool, then what, what's next? What, what else would you want to... Well, what, what would you do differently in a distributed retrospective from a face-to-face -face retrospective? I think what's really important in a, in, a, in a remote retrospective is really to really make sure that everybody is able to say something mm. because especially when you maybe have one guy at the phone which who's working in Berlin and the rest of the team is sitting in, in, in Switzerland and on the other part of the team sitting in the US you really have to ensure that this one guy at the phone also has to say something that you that he's really included and not forgotten maybe because if you can't really see him maybe then it's easy to forget him and one way to do is to do this is maybe to say okay one guy here in this room you're responsible that this guy on the phone is also uh, is also involved and you are responsible to talk to him and, and get him out maybe if he's not able to say something or if he starts talking and people are not hearing it because they are talking so loud and um, so this is for me quite important that everybody can say something and if you see people who are not really attending that you get them out and uh, of their passive role and um, get them collaborating with the rest of the team. Mm. It's interesting because in a face-to-face -face meeting, if somebody's just being quiet and not involving themselves, you can sort of say, well, that's okay, that, that's how they are. But when it's distributed, actually, you can't just let them be like that. 
Yeah. So I think what you're saying. Yeah, yeah that, that's correct. But even in a co-located uh, meeting, I really take care that everybody at least... So in a retrospective, what I, I usually start with one activity where everybody has to say something, mm-hmm. which already breaks the ice. And even people who are maybe more introvert and not talking so much right, are um, more eager to speak, interestingly. And if you don't do such an activity in, in the beginning, I observed at least that if you have some introvert people and they didn't say anything, they won't say anything the rest of the meeting. So it's quite important to, to get people to speak, even if it's only two words. So mm. they already know, okay, I can speak in this room, I can also speak later. Mm. So what's the what was the best distributed retrospective you've ever been part of? So the best distributed retrospective was really a fun one. So I did a, I did a soccer retrospective, and um, it was I think it was the I think it was World Cup at that time mm-hmm. that point in time, um, soccer World Cup, and we had a team um, located at Lake Constance, and there was a team, and um, in Romania participating mm-hmm. and they really had a decent um, video conferencing system system with more than one camera so as soon as somebody spoke the camera was switched on in this area of the room so you could really see people talking and it was not just the one camera for the big room and um, and there we were working not with an online whiteboard but with whiteboards in the rooms mm-hmm. and um, small teams gathering around a whiteboard and and I had a co-facilitator in this meeting, and he was really taking care of the remote team. That also their results was were, were then incorporated at the at the bigger co-located team. And um, yes, it was a re- really a lot of fun. On the one hand, because we didn't be using the metaphor of of soccer playing, mm-hmm. so people created um, some kind of a live ticker, so 90 minutes live ticker of uh, their soccer game. So they really tried to. Maybe they had a, I think it was a, um, the last three months, something like that. So they mapped the three months to the 90-minute soccer game and also used soccer terms using this, describing their, their life ticker. And it was really fun to, to um, talk about these things. And so it's also easier for them then to talk maybe about more difficult things because they have, can talk on a metaphoric level and they don't have to do it directly. And um, yeah, this was really fun. That sounds really interesting. So that the three months of the project were mapped to the ninety minutes. So yeah. at six weeks in, you had half time, and so on. Yeah. And mm-hmm. uh, you could track the goals and the tackles and the all of that. Yeah. Right. Even though the project itself had nothing to do with football. Yeah, like you could say maybe maybe it happened that um, some team members were just pulled out of the team and uh, put to another team. You can maybe say. Like, we lost three soccer players and received one handballer on the on the <laughs> on the thing. And such things you can really do all the crazy things yeah, on the on the board. Or the coach started to play with us. Or yeah, when we when in in, in software development you have these features you want to uh, you, you want to finish in the end of the sprint, for example. You could say yeah, we tried to to um, have a goal in the end of the sprint, but then in the last second, um, this product manager came in and did a really really bad foul and yeah and we were not able to score such things it was really really interesting to to do it that way that sounds like brilliant fun thank you very much indeed for telling that story it sort of brings it all to life in a, in a lovely way thank you 
and I'm just looking at the clock and realizing we need to be finishing. So if people want to find out more about what you've been talking about, about retrospectives and about your work, how do they find you? So maybe there are, for the English speaking people, maybe there are, there are two easy ways for me to do it. So there's an about me side of me. Mm-hmm. So about.me/mark.loeffler is one way to, to see what I'm, what I'm doing, what I'm working on. And I also have a blog, which is blog.scrumphony.com. And uh, where I blog in English, for example. Scrumphony.com. So yeah, I can maybe just write it into your chat window, then you can edit maybe somewhere. Mm-hmm. Yeah. I'll do that. And um, yeah, just via email. Just write me an email at smark.loveler at gmail.com and would all be fine. But Lovely. remember, it's C in Mark, it's not a K. Mm-hmm. Great stuff. So thank you very much indeed for, for all of that. There's some really interesting ideas there and some, and some good stuff to play with, which I'm certainly going to be uh, doing more thinking about and exploring, and I'm sure people listening to this will be too. So thanks again. Yeah, you're welcome.